God's grace, God's mercy, God's peace. They're all yours from the Father and from our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God's word for our sermon is the epistle, the letter for today. It's from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. This is God's word. Please be seated. My fellow believers in Jesus Christ, every day the priest stood at the entrance to the temple holding a perfect male sheep in his arms. He slit its throat and he killed it catching the blood. And after sprinkling the blood on the altar, he skinned the animal, and then he cut it up into pieces, washed the intestines and the legs. And then finally, he threw the whole animal into the fire, except the skin. Huh? And in that fire, sizzling and crackling and burning up, the animal was consumed by the fire and the smoke went up to God. And figuratively, God smelled this and God thought to himself, this smells good. This pleases me. That's because this sacrifice demonstrated total dedication, total commitment, and total love to the God of Israel. I have just described for you the burnt offering of the priests of Israel offered to God. Every morning and every evening, throughout the day, throughout the months, and throughout the years, such sacrifices were made again and again and again to God. That offering is called the burnt offering, the olah, a word in Hebrew that means to go up. It signified total dedication, total commitment, total sacrifice. These burnt offerings were all pictures. They were all shadows. All proclamations of God to his people. They all foreshadowed God's perfect sacrifice that he would make for their sins 
Plus, they all foreshadowed the sacrifices that God's people make to their God in thankful response. It was these burnt offerings that were in the Apostle Paul's mind when he wrote our scripture text for today. And so God's word for us this morning is this message. Worship God as a living sacrifice. Two parts. Motivated by his mercy. And secondly, transformed in your thinking. As you can see, these words of our text are from Romans chapter 12. They are the beginning of the second portion of Paul's letter to these Christians at Rome. Paul wrote these words starting in chapter 12 to answer the question, how do God's people live? That is, what is the Christian life all about? And Paul starts his discussion with a beautiful word. It's the word, therefore. (laughs) That's a big word in the Bible. Therefore. Therefore means on the basis of everything that I have said before, in this case, on the basis of the previous 11 chapters of Romans, on the basis of all that God has said up to this point, therefore. See, what Paul is saying here is, this is now the motivation, all that thing in the past, for what I'm about to tell you. And here's what Paul had told them in the previous 11 chapters of Romans. We are all sinners. Every one of us. Not only do we do sinful things and say sinful words, but worst of all, we think sinful thoughts. Paul had said in his, earlier in the letter, I wouldn't have known how sinful coveting is if the law hadn't said, don't you dare covet. See, Paul had told them that they were much more sinful than they ever imagined themselves to be. But he had also told them, don't despair. Yes, he had said, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. He wrote about how Jesus had become our sin, how he had become our guilt, how he had taken on our punishment. And because of what Jesus had done, Paul says, that God had declared the whole world righteous in Jesus Christ, that God had declared the whole world forgiven of all of its sins because of what Jesus had done for them. And now, through simple trust in Jesus, We get the benefit of that declaration. Our sins are not ours anymore. Oh no, instead they belong to Jesus. Plus on top of that, Paul had told them that already in eternity, God had chosen them to be his people. And that that's why they had faith in Jesus in the first place. That's why he had planted faith in Jesus, because he had picked them out to be his own. And now God was making everything in their lives work out for our eternal good so that absolutely, positively, we can be certain that we belong to God because of our Jesus and the eternal life in his name. And that's how the first part of Romans ends. Now Paul writes to begin our text, Therefore, because of the gospel, 
because of Jesus, because of God's forgiveness, because of God's love, therefore, this is the reason why we can live as God's people. This is why we can offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. It's only because of God's love for us in the first place. As the Bible says again and again and again, we love because he first loved us. Or another passage, we run in the way of God's commandments because he's made our hearts big. Or still another passage, we are God's willing people because God's powerful gospel has grabbed us. Or still another passage, the love of Christ compels us. See, Bible passage after Bible passage after Bible passage tell us that it's God's love for us, not, not our love for God, that moves us, that motivates us to offer our lives as a living sacrifice. That is what is behind that word here, the first word in our text, therefore, that all of our Christian living is motivated by the gospel. Look at the other gospel words that are there in our text that tell us the same thing, that it's God's love that motivates us. Paul says, I urge you. In the original language, that word urge literally means, I put my arms around you. I hug you. I embrace you. I I pull you to my side. God woos us and wins us to live for him by his winsome ways of love. Paul says in our text, brothers, and in today's culture, we would correctly paraphrase brothers and sisters, huh? Those are also gospel words. We're brothers and sisters in Christ with him. We're in God's family by Christ's love for us. Paul is not ordering us around as strangers. He's reminding us of who we are, dearly loved children of God. And then Paul uses this phrase, in view of God's mercy. See, mercy is compassionate love for people who are in desperate need, like us. That, too, is gospel. All of these words of our text are gospel motivation. We are moved to live the Christian life, to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice simply because of God's love for us. Jesus Christ was the one who was foreshadowed by that burnt offering in the Old Testament. You see, he first gave himself in total dedication, total commitment to us. Jesus Christ had his body consumed by death when he died on that cross, huh? Oh, it truly was a living sacrifice, not only offered in his death, but also in his resurrection. See, Christ is our living sacrifice right now because he didn't stay dead. He came back to life, and he's ruling the universe now on behalf of his elect, his people. Think of that. We have a living sacrifice in our God right now, who can and who does motivate us to live for him. For because our Jesus is alive, we can tap into his resurrection power every day to live and to serve and to glorify God right where we're at, right on down to the day that we die. 
Paul describes all of that activity of ours as Christians in our text as worship. Listen to the words again. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Right now we can worship God in absolutely everything that we do. And we can do it with our bodies. We can offer them to God as burnt offerings so that everything about us can be used to worship God daily. These bodies that can walk and run and work and serve. And they can make things and, and they can fix things. And they can clean things, huh? These lips of ours can speak kind words, helpful words, wise words, law and gospel words. Because of what Jesus has done for us now, we can see everyone around us as someone that Jesus has redeemed. And so we can worship God by treating them as such redeemed children of Jesus. You see, in this wider sense, worship is not just what we do here on Sunday morning. Huh? Oh, that's important. But in this wider sense, everything that we do in life is worship, a response to this God who loved us and gave himself for us. How different this is from our world around us and our world's way of thinking. Paul refers to that in our text when he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. What that means is that we do not see God and life the way the world around us sees God and life. Because the world thinks, well, I'll do what I should do. I'll be good. I'll strive for excellence. Because after all, God helps those who help themselves, right? Our world thinks, if I obey, if I perform, then God will have to bless me. He'll give me success, and I'll get along a lot better in life. That's how natural man thinks. But the Bible turns this whole mindset on its head, turns it upside down, huh? God wants us to think just the opposite of that. For our God has already declared us acceptable in his sight because of what our Jesus has done for us. So that in him, we are already holy, already acceptable, already perfect, already loved before we ever appeared on the scene, before we ever took our first, first breath in life, before, as Luther says, before we ever prayed or thought about it. Huh? God's given us his own righteousness. And that's our motivation for life. That's why we can view all of life as worship, as a burnt offering to God. Remember this as your theme for today. Worship God as a living sacrifice. But there's a problem with worshiping God as a living sacrifice. You see, a living sacrifice can walk off the altar. A living sacrifice can refuse to go along with the sacrifice. The point is, is that while we're living here on this earth, we have two natures. We're not just lovers of God and servants of his. Along with our believing nature, we have an old Adam of sin who 
clings to our hearts. And we'll keep that old Adam of sin as long as we live here on this earth. And that old Adam of sin, he can't be ignored or denied. He simply needs to be dealt with. We can't just do whatever we feel like doing and think that, well, it's okay with God. Because we are dual creatures, sinners and saints at one and the same time, we need to do some godly thinking and get some godly help to know how to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And that's the second part of our sermon for today, as God tells us to worship him as a living sacrifice, that we're transformed in our thinking. God gave all of us brains to use in living the Christian life. He gave us minds to use so that we can read the Bible and receive Christian instruction about the scriptures and then make decisions about what pleases God and what doesn't please God. Remember, living the Christian life is not easy. It's hard. Because we have three great enemies that don't want us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. These three great enemies are, of ours are the devil himself, the godless world around us and its culture, and worst of all, our own unbelieving natures inside of us. So we need to tap into God's word and then use our thinking ability, our brains, to help us figure out what lines up with God's will and what doesn't. Paul says it this way in our text. <clears throat> be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. When it comes to living the Christian life, God wants us to do some testing of what's around us. And he gave us a tool to use to do that. His holy law revealed in his word. Now the Ten Commandments are a beautiful summary or an explanation of that law. They tell us what is right and what is wrong. But you know, the Ten Commandments are not the be-all and the end-all. They are only a summary of God's law. The whole Bible is really an explanation of the true meaning of each one of those Ten Commandments. So, for example, when God says in the Fifth Commandment, don't murder, the rest of the Bible shows us that angry words that lash out at another person, that's murder in God's eyes. Just as hatred of another person, that too is murder in God's eyes. Or when God says, don't commit adultery in the Sixth Commandment, Jesus says, that includes lust. Anybody who fantasizes about having sex with someone other than their spouse, they've already committed adultery, he says, with that person in their heart. On and on it goes with all of the Ten Commandments. They always speak, first of all, to the heart, not to the hand. We can spend our whole life studying the scriptures, delving into the Bible, and never plumb the depths of all that they instruct us 
concerning God's holy law, his holy will. As we worship our God with our daily lives, as we give him our bodies as a living sacrifice, we'll want to use those Ten Commandments, and with that, all of the scriptures, to help us worship our God better and better on a daily basis. The reason for that is that the gospel has changed our attitude toward God's law. Because Jesus has lived and died for us to make us holy, because that's an accomplished fact, something God has declared in the gospel, the pressure for performance from us now is off. We don't have to perform to get God to love us. There are no strings on God's love for us. Now we can ask God in a very joyful way, what do you say in your law about how I can say thank you to God with my thankful life? That's why Paul can say, as he does earlier on in his letter to the Romans, I delight in the law of God after the inner man. You see, we delight to do God's law, not because we have to, but because we want to, right on down the line. But let us remember this. Don't be surprised as you do that. Don't be surprised as you worship God as a living sacrifice that you fail, that you fall, and that you fall often. Don't be surprised how far short of perfection you fall as you seek to worship God. Because, you see, the more we try to figure out what God's Word says to instruct our daily living, the more we will see that we don't totally measure up. We never will. The more we try to do what God wants us to do, the more we have to cry out to God to forgive us even more. And that's a good thing. You see, that means that God is making us humble. God is driving us from the law to his grace, to his gospel. He's driving us into the arms of our Jesus. Otherwise, as Paul says in our scripture text, we would be thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. As a pastor of God's people for over 44 years, I'm not so bothered by my members' inabilities to live the Christian life as I am bothered by the attitude I run into that says, you know, pastor, I'm okay just the way I am. Don't worry about me. What really bothers me as a pastor is when people see that, think that there's no need to tap into God's power in his word and sacrament. That there's no perceived need for, for worship or Bible study. No need to tap into my fellow Christians to build me up. That attitude concerns me. See, this is why the Bible says that God resists the proud, but he gives his grace to the humble. For the real enemy in the Christian church, that's not sinful weakness, but rather proud arrogance. Worship God as a living sacrifice. Jesus Christ has completely redeemed us with that burnt offering of himself that he sacrificed to God. And because of that, Jesus has taken the pressure for performance off of us. We don't have to feel that we have to somehow measure up to God in order to be loved by him. That somehow we have to try and make things right again with God. But instead we can freely and confidently and joyfully take our bodies and our minds and our gifts and all of our abilities. Yes, 
our very lives. And we can say to God, here it is, God. You take everything about me. Take it as a thankful sacrifice because of what Jesus did for me. That attitude is truly an attitude of worship. It is a living sacrifice that smells good in the nostrils of our God. Amen.